Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Peggy Robinson. She is a two-time near-death experiencer and the author of her memoir, The Will of a Wildflower. She has been a guest on television and radio shows, as well as she has been a guest speaker at various near-death experience groups and conferences. Peggy, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Hi. Thanks for having me. All right. You have had a lot of experience in NDEs, and you even have a Facebook page for new NDE experiencers. So right off the bat, what kind of advice would you give to someone that has just recently had their first near-death experience? Start talking even as to yourself, writing it down, draw pictures, whatever you can do to help verbalize it. Because it's so hard when something sounds so crazy and so unbelievable to say the words of what you're saying. What you're saying sounds completely insane and made up but you know true to your heart that it was real and that is the hardest thing is coming to terms with that was real and that was the hardest thing for me because mine with the tubal pregnancy I was 25 it was 1986 there was no such thing as near-death experience that I'd ever heard of I never heard of such thing and I never liked any of that ghost story, woo-woo, you know, far out fiction. I never liked anything like that. And to say those words to people and to lose my credibility, people think I was a liar or crazy, was very difficult. So it's easy to push away and say, I can't deal with that. I can't talk about it. There's no one that would understand it. But when you do start to care more about what you think than what other people think and speak your truth from your heart and be very, very careful of what is true. What did you exactly see here? Experience. Um, And To me, the truth is in time. So if I can remember something exactly the same way a month from now, 10 years from now, you can pretty guarantee that that is a true memory. That is a true experience. Um, Because it was hard to convince myself, you know, how could that happen? Those things don't happen. Um, I mean, I was in heaven. And I was before God and a panel of people and Jesus. And it was my time. Uh, I hear a lot of people now that I hear NDE say, I was told it wasn't my time to come back. Well, that wasn't me. I begged and pleaded to come back. And I knew it was my time. And I wasn't accepting it. And the, the, the gratitude 
of knowing that God sent you back to, because I begged to raise my children. Um, so my advice to people is to number one, trust in yourself and verbalize your truth and let the chips fall where they may. There will be people laugh at you and call you names, never want to talk to you again, lose total credibility. But above everything in this world is, you know, a good lesson with this is with anything is to thine self be true. It's interesting that you said that people would never want to talk to you again. I find that very strange in a way. And I'm guessing that you have awakened something inside of them that scares them. And that's why they don't want to talk to you. Well, I don't blame them. Um, I pushed my NDE away for a few months because um, I had lost twins with that NDE. So I had mourning and then I was pregnant again and I was afraid I'd die again. And then I lost that baby as well. And so um, reliving the fact that I had almost died, which is how I feared it in my head, almost died, right? Um, Is how I put it. And then a few months after the NDE, I was uh, in our basement. We had shoulder trader, built a basement and, and before we built the top of the house. And I was walking through the living room to go in the kitchen to start dinner. And Oprah Winfrey was new at the time. Mm. And I told this at the Dr. Oz producers. And he's like, oh, don't talk about that. Yeah. And I know why they wouldn't want me to talk about it. Because people will think, oh, well, that's where she got the idea. I know they're going to think that. But it wasn't. It was Oprah had some people on her show and they were talking about they had died and come back. And I stopped in my tracks and I thought, what liars? Oh my gosh. You know, how stupid do they think people are? That's the biggest lie I ever heard. Nobody's going to be dumb enough to believe anything like that. What are they trying to pull? Rolled my eyes, took a step back to go start dinner and something stopped me. And it just took me over. I thought, why does that sound so familiar? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, my God, it was real. What happened? What I remembered as soon as I woke up, woke up, you know, from being in heaven back in the wheelchair of the twins. That was real. Because at the time I thought, I can't think about that right now. I can't tell anybody. They'll think I'm crazy. And it hit me. That was real. Now, them weird people on Oprah, I don't know if they were telling the truth or not, but it, it reminded me. And maybe sometimes, you know, we may go a long time without remembering something and then something will trigger it. And it was no different than that, you know. And I think people hear that and they probably think, oh, well, she decided to be like those people on Oprah. <laughs> and you no. Know, so I perfectly understand why anyone would scoff and, and say they are liars. They're making this stuff up. They're crazy. They want attention. I understand that so well because I would be still one of those people if it hadn't happened to me. And I allowed myself to remember it and allowed myself to take ownership of it. Because that night I told my husband, I sat him down after dinner. I said, I got to tell you something. And I was shaking all over when I told him because when I came back, I was freezing cold, shaking all over. It's like I relived it. And he sat back and he looked at me. He says, I know how it sounds, but I know you. And I can tell you're telling me the truth. Okay, but then what? <laughs> what do you do then? You know, nobody else is going to believe you. There's no such thing. And you, you just leave it alone. And then years later, I start thinking about it. And then 
And then one day I was cleaning my room and I had uh, Christian music on. I was just kind of rejoicing and got in this nice little zone. And it all started flooding. And I started realizing a lot of the miracles that had happened in my life, including that. And I just, I went and got my adopted kids and I brought them up and I sat them on the bed. And I started telling them and I was crying and they were sitting there going, mom, because they never seen me act like that, talk like that. And then I, sometime after that, it started raining real hard. I took them out and I got them baptized. I baptized them in the rain and, and then I got them going to church and got them baptized in the church and, you know, things like that. But it's like it, it, it has to um, open up. It has to bloom in you and, and you either allow it to, or you don't. And once you do, it's like open a gate and the light that you were in, it comes out and you feel it in every fiber and people around you can't help but feel it. Now there might be some rolling their eyes. There might be someone that someone, you know, thinking you're and walk away and they're going to talk to you because you're weird. That's okay. But there's going to be somebody that's meant to hear it and say, I see the light or I feel, I know, or make them remember something that happened to them. There is a magic is the only word I can think of that is born in telling your experience. And if anybody ever had an experience and um, started to tell it, they might know what I'm talking about <laughs> because even at that, it kind of sounds like what are you talking about, you know, but like when I go get up on a stage or just even one person around a bonfire or even right now, when I start talking about that feeling, I can feel the light. It feels like it's just going to burst out of me. <laughs> um, it's an energy. Um, it's a euphoria. So go for it. Do it. Um, know your truth. Never embellish. And some people say, well, I had this NDE, but you know, there wasn't much to it. I was like, oh, no, that's what I thought, too. I would hear other people's NDEs, and I didn't claim mine as an NDE. This little thing happened that I kind of kept private. And then it was a long time reading other people's NDEs and listening to each right. Was mine an NDE? Because it's so different than theirs. And I didn't understand the elements, what an NDE is, and um, and I didn't understand how people could go talk about it in public. It was almost a year before I joined the IONS meeting. Once I heard there was such thing, I heard there was such thing and I wanted to go so bad. It was two hours away from our house, the closest one. And I asked my boys permission. It was like a gay person saying, I'm going to come out. I'm gay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start going to this gay church or whatever, you know, can I have your permission? To, I, because I don't want to embarrass you. And my boys was like, Mom, do what you got to do, you know? They kind of laughed at me, but I really struggle because I'm going to come out as a weirdo. You know, I was a counselor, I was a social worker, you had all these adopted children and things. Your reputation is everything. So, and I have a sister that's mentally ill. And so we grew up, I was the youngest of six kids, um, five that was alive, but, um, and then my half brother was born, so I ended up being six again. But uh, so it's always, was always afraid of being like her, me and my siblings. Oh, we're afraid of being like Melody because Melody was very crazy and never want to talk crazy, look crazy, act crazy. never want to be like that. And um, for me, 
it was hard because I, I valued my reputation. I valued what people thought. I worked hard to get the reputation that I had and I didn't want to give it up. And then I thought, but you know what? It's the truth. And, and I don't want to, when I die next time, I don't want to stand in front of God in shame and him say, why didn't you tell anybody? And me say, cause they would have thought I was lying. They would have thought I was crazy. They would have thought of me this and that. And cause I feel like he gave me my life back to raise my children. I have to repay him by looking like a total fool. If that's what I look like, if I look like a liar, that's what it is. There's going to be consequences. But I, I just totally owe everything um, to God for allowing me to come back. So I'll take the heat. You mentioned earlier that you are you mentioned earlier that you are in heaven with God and Jesus and a panel. So were you going through a life review at the time? When I went through a tunnel and then I was in a bright light all alone. And then there was a panel of people, just outlines like the head, shoulders. Like say if you open a door at night and it's dark and, you, and somebody's out there and you're trying to make out who it is, but it's too dark. Only it was too light. I couldn't see because it's so light. And so there's just an outline like who is there? And I scanned, and then I seen one sitting up front, or front and center, just still an outline. But in my mind, sitting up front and center has to be God. Mm-hmm. So that was the panel of people, and that was God. The life review, which even for years after even talking about my NDE, I did. I thought life review. I don't even know what they're talking about. I don't even know if they're even telling the truth. I don't understand that. But then I realized I did have a life review, but I never thought of it as a life review because it wasn't someone showing me my life. It was me showing God my life. I showed him and verbally, but it sped up real fast. Every abuse I ever went through as a child, because I wanted God to know why I could not leave my kids down here on earth. They would not be safe. I was afraid my mother might get custody. I was afraid what would happen to them. I wanted nothing bad to happen to them that happened to me growing up. So I showed him all these things real fast and it all come out like it's one yell. And so that was my life review. That was me reviewing my life, explaining to God why my kids aren't safe down there and they need their mother. So if that was a life review, I don't know. But for me, that was, I guess it. And so then life review and the part of Jesus only come into play when I told God, you can look into the future. You're omniscient. If you see my kids would be better off without me for whatever reason, I agree to stay. But if not, I beg to return. Then I see me. And now I didn't realize this for a long time. When I see all this, it's always exactly the same. But I realized, wait a minute, I'm a point of reference seeing me. And Jesus, I'm watching us from behind. Hmm. I'm assuming it's Jesus because it's darker hair, man, figure, thin. On my left, I'm over here on the right, and I see us from behind dropping down out of heaven and going down. And that instant, we're over our trailer we lived in at the time. And there's at nighttime, but there's no roof. It's like we can see straight through. And there's my boys in there. And my middle son, Jeremy, was very upset that I had died. And then I'm back in heaven and I'm sobbing at Jesus' feet. I see how upset my boys are. 
And I say, who else will teach them about you? And in that moment, I'm no longer a point of reference. I am in a body because I see my hands come up and I am crumbled at his feet. And I see Jesus' feet as he sat beside God in the bottom of the road. And then I'm back in the wheelchair. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm back. But what about, you know, it wasn't over because whatever made me die wasn't fixed yet. And I had to make my doctor real something is wrong. He said, the exam he says, Peggy, why do you say it's a two-week pregnancy? He says, I did ultrasound before. Both babies are in the uterus. I was pregnant for twins. He says, he said, if it make you feel better, you can spend the night at the hospital. He said, you live an hour away, but there's nothing wrong. I couldn't tell him. I just died, and I was heaven in heaven. So it's, it's going to kill me again if you don't fix it. I couldn't say that. And even this today, like, could a person say that to their doctor? And their doctors say, well, maybe we need to take a better look. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They say, here's some Valium or whatever. Go by joy. So, um, and that was another reason for wanting to tell, to be brave and tell is because maybe somebody else will, um, or even doctors. You know, I talked to my doctor 30 years after the fact and said, do you remember when I lost the twins? And this, and this is why I refused to go home. I talked about the NDE. Mm-hmm. It was just a couple years ago. And uh, he's like, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And then he said, I believe you. He mm. said, I have come to believe of everything I have seen, exactly what you're telling me. And the nurse is all he does, too. But I was shaky. I was so scared. I wanted to tell him at every visit all those years, 30 over 30 years. Went by. I, wanted to, I was too scared to tell him. Mm. Um, excuse me. <laughs> I have to tell you something. I just couldn't. Mm. And I made myself do it on that day. Um. So it's very hard. It's very hard to come out and and own it. Do you think that when a person has an NDE, it's an accident or there's a reason? Um, God must know. I've thought about that a lot. And I'm thinking God must know who would be the one to tell people and maybe... I wouldn't think that God would waste his time give, sending someone back if they weren't going to report what they saw. Because I think that's why we have them, to report what we saw. Because when I first got to heaven, I was all alone. I looked around. And I think, oh, my gosh, it's real. The whole Bible, the whole God, the heaven thing. Even though I wasn't seeing angels or beautiful anything. I mean, I was in another place. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was still me. I didn't see me at all. So I knew. This, this is real. My gosh, it really is real. All that Bible stuff that you go somewhere when you die, that, that really is real. Um, and I thought, gosh, I wish I could tell people. I remember just a split second thing. I wish I could tell people. And I think, you know, God knows everything. He knows he's going to come back. And eventually, it might take decades. But eventually, who's going to tell and who is going to help? I know um, my story helped my mother-in-law before she passed. Mm. And uh, it helped her brother a year before she passed. And, um, you know, and we never know who our story, even people might be rolling their eyes at us today. Maybe something might happen and it click and trigger. I think that woman was telling me the truth. Um, We have evidence of God in heaven. Yeah, we have the Bible. We have churches, we have all these things, but 
I think that God gives us these with the intent that we will go back and share that he really is there. Can you describe what heaven looked like for you? For me, it was just bright white light, telepathic communication, scenes that would open up. Um, when I first seen the panel of people and I was start, I thought I had a complaint department now. Either somebody I could gripe at and say, I've got to go home. I can't stay here. And so I was like, I, I can't say, you know, I got to raise my kids. I won't go. And then the scene opened up on my left. And it was in a, like the opening of a store, a little boy, the parents checking out with this little kid. And he was screaming, throwing a fit. He wanted something. He wanted it right now. And the parents are very calm, unaffected. No, you can't have that. And I believe that was God's way of showing me as a young mother, something I would understand that you're acting like a spoiled child. And the answer is no. You know, we're not affected by your tantrum. The answer is simply no. And that's why I felt, well, it is my time. But I continue to plead my case. And that's why I continue to show the abuse I went through, you know, why I need to back here with my kids. And then fine, you know, if they'd be better off with me, I'll stay. And then they show me my kids would be destroyed if I died. And then, you know, I'm pleading. And so it was heaven was a white light. It was um, when I did my life review. It was me going back in time, telling every abuse, but it was like that fast. Like if you took a record player and cranked the whole record up real quick, like in the fast speed, boom, it's out. And that was God's way of showing me. I believe the is that it's out. You don't have to continue going on. I understand. You know, like with you, I need to explain this, explain that. And, you know, so you get it. But God's not like that. He knows. You don't have to continue. I know. And so um, I heard God's voice in a male, loving, authoritative voice that I will never forget. Um, it was... Um, I, the only words I can think of right now is the law. Hmm. It was compassion, but it was firm. He it, he was in control, not me. Um, he was listening, but he wasn't swayed. And so to find myself back in that wheelchair, it was like, you know, a child saying, I want this, I want this. And then a parent hands it to you, you know, uh, and so, well, I'm back. And then I felt like, you know, Cinderella, she has till midnight mm. to get these things done. You know, how long do I have? I can't have very long. I've got, it's my responsibility to make sure my doctor fixes this because I will die again. And so the doctor um, admitted me overnight. I was in a private room and I would wake up with that same pain that made me pass out and die the first time in the wheelchair. I wake up with that pain in my hip bone. And then I would wake up covered in vomit. And I was realizing that I am vomiting while I'm passed out. Mm -hmm. I would get that pain. I would get sat up in my bed. I would get that blue bowl. And I'd wake up covered in, this, covered in vomit. And I, the nurse kept coming in, changing my gown in my bed. And she's getting irritated with me. I said, call the doctor. Something's wrong. When I was on Dr. Oz and I told him this, mm -hmm. he said, every time you passed out, you died. Mm. Dr. Oz said that to me. That's interesting. And I've always felt that. 
I'd always felt that. I didn't have any more NDEs that I remember or anything. It's just every time I'd wake up, I thought, God, I know you can't keep doing this. I know you can't keep me alive forever. I just pray that I'll still be alive in the morning. So the doctor will do an ultrasound maybe and find out what's going on, which is exactly what happened. Uh, first thing in the morning, they said, doctor, once you get down to ultrasound, um, they sat me up in a wheelchair. I passed out. So they sit me flat down the bed. They did ultrasound. The doctor come in. He said, Peggy, it's the worst thing in my eyes. Well, you got internal bleeding filling your entire abdominal cavity, cleared your chest. And the rest, you know, they called my whole family and they didn't think I was going to make it. I mean, they had me sign my organs away and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's, you know, more gratitude from that, that not only did he send me back, he kept me alive all night because mm-hmm. I know I kept dying. And, and that confirmed it when Dr. Haas said, every time you passed out, you died. Mm-hmm. And I know I did. And like I say, um, the, the gratitude that, you know, not only did he just send me back, but he kept me alive all night until the doctor was able to do my surgery. And I had uh, miscarried. The next month after that and uh, no pregnancy, trying, trying, trying. I mean, everything seven years and then going through a divorce and um, my ex and I got pregnant mm. and then it was another tubal, but I caught it early because I knew the signs and my doctor knew to listen to me by then mm-hmm. uh, because he had told me after the twins, he said, if you're one day late, I want you in here getting a blood test to keep ahead of this from being tubal again because mm. I had one tube left. And uh, so it's another tubal, but we saved the tube. And then my husband and I, we, I remarried, and we had a um, pregnancy. We had a miscarriage, and all these miscarriages were around two months, um, every spring for three years. So I went to a fertility specialist, and he said, every one of your miscarriages was a tu- ectopic pregnancy that dissolved in the tube. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, God saved my life every time I got pregnant after that. And I don't think what people understand is for 30 years, I tried to get pregnant after the twins. I could have died from another tubal pregnancy at any moment. But that's how bad I wanted a baby. Mm-hmm. I was willing to die um, to have another baby. And uh, no, but I don't know. God kept me alive. <laughs> through my own stupidity, <laughs> uh, you know, risking my life. I mean, who would do that? But um, so I guess you've got to pick um, who you value the opinion of, you know, the world, the people on earth or God, because ultimately who is going to judge you? <laughs> ultimately, who do you owe something to? Mm-hmm. So that's just how I look at it. If you don't mind me asking, You've got divorced. You got remarried to your same husband again. Um, Not same husband. Oh, it wasn't your same. Well, you said your ex. My first husband and I, we were married 16 years. Mm -hmm. And my husband, Jim, and I, we've been together 25 now, married 23. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you got divorced with your first husband? Was it due to some of the effects of the NDE or just something totally different? Well, it... You know, part of me wants to say he was an abusive, cheating alcoholic. (laughs) But... I well, could have put up with that. Right. But after my NDE, um, the stuff he was doing, I couldn't just ignore anymore. I felt, I don't know if more intelligent 
is the word, but I, um, I was out of high school 10 years and went to college and, um, I started seeing life differently. Well, right after the twins, I started having instincts where I was saving lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I was led, um, saved a boy from little boy from drowning in a ditch. And I was led to save a little boy. that was choking on Easter basket grass. And then I was led up the road. There was a car wreck and, you know, helped save people there. Saved a dog in our backyard. And uh, I would just start having these instincts and I didn't connect it to the NDE. And it was a, a few months after I lost the twins that I remembered I drowned when I was five. I had mm-hmm. no memory. I was, um, I no longer wanted to participate in the drunken parties at my in-laws, the big Catholic family. Mm-hmm. So I went and sat outside because I was mourning my twins plus another baby now, three babies. Mm-hmm. And nobody could ever say, you know, I'm sorry you lost the twins. I'm sorry about this. But nobody, nothing, you know. So I went out and I just wanted to be alone. I looked up in the night sky and just relaxed and did some praying and let things go that I had been holding on to. And all of a sudden it was like this big movie theater screen in the sky. I saw the drowning from front to back and I sat up like it took me over. Did I drown when I was little? So I went and asked my mom right after that. Did I drown when I was little? She says, yeah, you did. And then I just had two questions. Did I drown when I was little and how did you find me? Because I can remember hovering over the pond. I can remember all this stuff. But then there's a break, and I remember waking up, my brother's carrying my dead body over his shoulder, and I start throwing up water down his back. But there's a a piece I don't remember from hovering and doing all these fun things as a little kid. There was no heaven experience. It was all out out of body, like, you know, just playing, having fun. And um, so how did you find me? Well, she remembered later, she said, I thought about that and she said, uh, I noticed you weren't there and I had John, my brother that was with me when I drowned, go to where he saw you last. And he, my mom, I just found out the other day, something I didn't know. My mom couldn't swim. I never mm. knew that. Mm. But she says she couldn't swim. So she had my brother go diving down to where um, he saw me last and he found me. And so, you know, I remember that drowning. I didn't make the, you know, I didn't have the words NDE. I didn't make the connection to that, to the twins. All I knew was weird stuff was happening. I had this experience with the twins that I was pushing away. I had this memory of this drowning that I didn't understand how I saw in my body and stuff. And then I started saving these lives. And then um, I started, I would guess you would say more critical thinking. Like my ex is drinking. It wasn't funny anymore. Mm. Um, Life become very serious. I seen the repercussions down the road that this would have for my son, seeing this grown up. And I didn't want that for them. And I was taking college classes and I was starting to do therapeutic foster care. And it seemed like I just blossomed after I lost the twins. Everything started. I started changing and growing and getting courage Um, from the abuse as a child. I had PTSD. And so with that, I pushed everything under the rug. I refused to remember anything. And that refused to remember the good stuff, you know, spiritual stuff that happened as I was growing up, as well as the abuse. You just, you don't go there. And so um, it was, I was a grandmother before I started really allowing myself to start to remember 
And then, you know, nobody wants to hear your stories of abuse and nobody out of Southeast Ohio. So nobody wanted to hear my spiritual stuff either. Mm. And so I just sat down to start writing one day and I sat down for three months. I did. I hardly slept or ate. I just, I started writing. I couldn't stop. And my book was done. I never intended to publish. It just happened to be everything was falling in place. A friend said, Hey, why don't you send it to my publisher? Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know her that well. It was someone in the indie group. And I thought, no. (laughs) And and he was a former monk and uh, he read it. And it's like, it needs deep, deep editing. I mean, English and all that, you know, really bad, hard for Mm -hmm. me. But um, you know, I paid the price to have a good editor, but I said, no ghostwriting. This has to be truthful. There's no sense writing your book to me, a memoir. No sense going through any of this work and putting yourself out there to the public to be scrutinized if you don't own every word as truth. It has to be that important. And, you know, I want it to be a legacy. You know, 100 years from now, somebody could pick it up or my great-great-grandchildren or this is my grandmother. This was mm-hmm. her life. So I wanted it to be true to my word, and it is. Mm. The way you were able to see people in trouble, you know, like the boy eating Easter grass, and um not sure what the other one was, but it sounds like you kind of had like this new ab- in a ditch. Yeah. It sounded like you had like a new ability of premonition or something. Did you have any other new abilities afterwards? It's kinda like these abilities that you don't know you have until you need them or use them. When I graduated college, I started working as a child abuse investigator. Mm-hmm. In my first month there, I was still in training, and I went to a uh, home, and I went with the guy that was um, had been an investigator for a long time, was training me. And as soon as we walked into this apartment, I went straight to that little newborn in a carrier on the floor, and I knew instinctively something was wrong. And I went over, and I touched him, and I had to put my hand on his chest to see if he was breathing. He was barely breathing. He was gray. He was lifeless. And the way the mom had just left him on a carrier on the floor, just everything inside me screamed, this baby is in big trouble. And the guy laughed at me, the investigator. He says, well, I don't see nothing. If you feel that strongly, you know, tell the supervisor. So I rushed back five minutes away to our office and I told the supervisor and she sent a, uh, worker that was her that family's her case to take care of and that worker got very offended like who does this new girl think she is coming Mm -hmm. in telling me about my case and my case is fine Mm -hmm. so she went and was right back and was mad at me like it was some kind of ego thing to her long story short that baby got um, life flighted and became a vegetable because uh, he was having seizures he -hmm. had failure to thrive and he, you know, but that the first, it was like a couple of days after I was there, that first time he went to the hospital and then a few months, then he got the foster care and then back home and then uh, the seizures. And I tried to get something done for him then. And they, this agency wouldn't help me. And that's when he ended up with a, um, a vegetable. Wow. Um, and, you know, I documented, I called Children's Hospital. I said, I already know the answer to this. So I just need to document your answer if he had been brought there sooner. And she's, oh, well, this baby was born with problems that she had always had, but um, not to the extent he is now. You know, mm-hmm. he's a vegetable now. And so that case, which was, you know, I first started, was 
fuel that just raged a fire in me the seven years I was at the agency mm -hmm. to never, ever let anything go again. Never let anyone tell you you're wrong when your gut is telling you, screaming at you, you know, something. And I became like a bulldozer and ended up, I handled 75% of the cases the first five years I was there. Um, a lot of the teachers, counselors, they wouldn't refer a case to any, report a case to anybody but me. And they say, once Peggy gets hold of a case, she don't let go. Mm -hmm. And so I was extremely good at that. And I didn't stop and think, like, how do I know things? I was really good at getting confessions, too. People were, like, in shock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the confessions I would get. And they're like, how did you do that? You know, cops would get irritated. Like, how did you do that? And I was like, well, look how you treated them. You know, you yell to somebody, they're not going to tell you their story. They're going to bleed their heart out. Everybody wants to tell their story and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. um, just give them a chance and treat them like human beings. Um, so I do think that was part of the gifts, um, gifts of uh, that maybe even started back with the drowning. Mm -hmm. Because during the drowning, I got a very strong sense of injustice. I was shown my family didn't love me. And I said, well, that's not fair. I was a feisty little five-year-old. Mm. You know, you just showed me that my family don't love me. And then you tell me children are sent here to be loved. That is why God sends them here. But I'm not loved. Well, that's not fair. So this injustice, this little um, spunky, tiny little kid was like inside me that I repressed so much because mm -hmm. I was so shy. And I was so awkward. I um, didn't have words to say how I felt. And you know that now. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, family from my ex-husband, they see me now like, my gosh, you are so changed. You know, you were so quiet before. You hardly mm -hmm. said anything. You mm -hmm. practically hide behind the refrigerator and parties. I don't have anybody see me. And now I'm just so open and out there. Um, but that, that, little girl that that grew on the other side when I drowned um, has been a source of strength for me. I have realized throughout my life. What inspires you most about helping people who have had NDEs? For, when you say that, what comes to mind is there is a guy, I had a group, I had an IONS group um, that I had started. And then I took over uh, another group in Columbus um, that I went to when that lady resigned. But so there was this guy from West Virginia and he hadn't really, you know, hadn't told his NDE publicly. I know he had his girlfriend, a few people. And we got together at Christmas and I said, would you like to tell your NDE at dinner to everybody? Mm -hmm. He's like, okay. Mm -hmm. And he did. And then I asked him if he, I did a memories of dying video and he is the third speaker in that one. And his story that nobody would hear if it wasn't somebody like me or any other group leaders or, or like you having this podcast that gives people an opportunity to get out there. His um, daughter, Sasha, Sasha, Sasha Sasha um, was born with, and I don't remember the medical term, but she never walked, talked, you know, hmm. 
I don't want to use the word vegetable, but she was, you know, not really here. Mm -hmm. She wasn't supposed to live long. I think she lived to 18 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And she died. Mm -hmm. He had a near death experience, which was something with surgery. And he woke up, he thought maybe it was just a dream, but the doctor told him, you know, we lost you for a while. And he got thinking, well, maybe that wasn't a dream because he never had a dream like that before. It was so real. He saw his daughter. She was running and laughing and playing, hugging him. Mm. And he saw his dad that had passed. Mm. And the the guy just weeps when he tells of his daughter, Sasha, Mm. and seeing her run and play and daddy, I love you and miss you. And I'm bawling, (laughs) you know, he's bawling, I'm bawling. And I can just feel the man's heart and I can feel the joy he had in heaven when he saw her. And to be able to put his story out there um, is, it feels really good to me that other people can hear that, you know, maybe somebody else has had a child this past or a child that was never able to communicate and to know how wonderful they are now on the other side has got to be, um, make someone's life better, bearable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing story. So you have your book that's out. Where can you get it if people want to buy it? On Amazon or like, you know, anything you can buy books online, like Walmart, Barnes and Noble, um, books of money, you know, anything where you can buy books online. Oh, okay. Do <laughs> I'm you have, sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so you have two Facebook pages, right? Can you tell mm-hmm. us all the names of them? So if people want to join them, I have NDE newbies, which anybody can join. Um, but, the reason I made it is for like the guy I was just talking about that um, maybe has never told their NDE before. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people know how to go go on a podcast or go do this or they're asked to do this or that because they got a book. Mm-hmm. There's but all these experiences are just as valuable. You know, there's sure. none better than the other. And so I wanted to give a fair playing field for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody just had one. And who do I call, you know, or somebody's had one for years and they just like to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, um, it was called um, Near Death Experience 2000. Well, it's almost 2021. So I just changed it to NDE News. And there again, anybody can just come on whether you've had NDE or not. You can post, um, it, you can um, promote yourself if you want, you know, mm-hmm. your book or your, um, podcast or I post stuff. I post a lot of your stuff on there for people to listen to, mm-hmm. to watch and discuss or other in anything I find interesting. I'll throw on there. Um, just a place for anyone that's had a near death experience to, to join, to get together and talk and discuss or just interested in NDEs. Mm, thank you. Do you feel it's better for people to actually talk about their NDE rather than keeping it bottled up inside? <sighs> I think keeping bottled up inside is good for a while if you need to. Mm. Um, I did for a long time and I look back now, I couldn't have kept talking about that back then. You know, I had to worry if my ex was going to prove me unfit unfit mother because I'm crazy. If you have a job where people really uh, depend on your expertise or a you may not want to throw yourself out there and look like a big old weirdo because you're going to look like a big old weirdo. 
you're going to have people say, she's a liar. He's a liar. He's just, there's, you wrote a book trying to get rich and mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny in itself. Mm-hmm. But um, you really got to do what you need to do at the time. It may not be the time for you to bring it out, right. but when you're ready, just know there's places to go. You know, it's interesting that you said that because it reminded me of another guest on a podcast and this is something totally different. This guy was saying that he was seeing UFOs and he was a guy that would pick up oil at an oil rig and transport it. But he also said he didn't want to tell anybody because we don't want this crazy guy driving oil all over the place. I think I just listened to that last night. Is that where he like went on a wrong road and don't know how he got on that road? Uh, I think that's a, uh, I'm not really sure if that different one, one. maybe a different one, I, but um, I think his name's Ronnie, Ronnie Dawson. But my, I guess my point is, is yeah, I mean, whatever happens to you paranormally, you know, whether it's a, you know, you had an NDE or an out of body experience or a, saw an alien or you saw Bigfoot or whatever, it's hard to really speak up because you may get abandoned by your social circle. You know, if I was still a drug counselor or uh, working in children's services, I used to work at mental hospital as a mm-hmm. mental health social worker. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have been doing this mm-hmm. if I was still doing those things. I think I would have still been, you know, that'll hurt my career. Right. They'll think this, they'll think that. I don't think I would have. I've had one guest, a psychologist. So it's nice to hear when you have someone, you know, educated in the mental health field that's had some kind of spiritually transformative experience. And Right. But a pet peeve of mine is yeah. I've heard a priest say, only listen to near-death experiences that have high degrees. Hmm. Or someone puts out a book and they have a master's in this or that, or they have a PhD or they, and the whole world, oh, they must be believable yeah. because they have those initials behind their name. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. You know, the janitor that, you know, is mopping the floor over here may have had an NDE and is just as important as that neurosurgeon. So I just don't want people to get the idea. Let's believe the ones that have these initials and those other people, you know, they're just weird anyway. And so um, I call it NDE ethics. I'm a very passionate about, um, I say that equal playing field Mm -hmm. for near death experiences, because we are all created equal. We're all God's children. And, um, people say, oh, this person was a doctor and they had an NDE. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Maybe your babysitter had an NDE. Yeah. <laughs> and listen to her too. <laughs> you know, listen to everybody's. Right. I because think- they're all amazing. I think you made a great point in that. So do you have any other projects that you're working on that you want us to know about? Well, I talked to somebody. <laughs> about- <laughs> And nothing's a go, you know, nothing. But um, someone in Canada is making a near-death experience documentary uh, television series. So we're just praying that they get the green light um, and get picked up by a network. And um, even if I don't 
get to be in it for a reason, which mm-hmm. I hope I am, of course. Um, I would love to see something like that come on TV where a lot of different people get to show their story. And I stress to them to please don't make it like a circus or witchcraft or voodoo. Please give them the respect they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you know what I mean, but um, when this first came to my attention, um, when I first started going to an audience group in Columbus, the lady in charge of the thing had mentioned she was at a, some venue and I looked it up online what it was and they had, um, at the conf- not really a conference, but whatever it was that they had there, they had uh, a booth for UFOs, a booth for palm reading, a booth for you know these kind of things I would call witchcraft and mm-hmm. whatever, and then in the east, mm-hmm. like what are you throwing in the east in there for? You know, I mean? to me, that's like throwing them in a circus tent, like throwing a preacher in a circus tent along with the clowns and the elephants and bearded lady and whatever and they, they didn't know what I was talking about and I keep getting the visual of the Bible story where Jesus is mad that they're selling stuff on Sunday and he throws I keep getting a visual every time I talk about it because NDEs do not belong in um, these other I went to uh, places posing a couple years ago because they were talking about NDEs, but then mostly they're talking about leprechauns mm. and fairies and things like that. Right. And then a couple of NDEs in there. And I, and it, it goes against everything that I believe. All right, Peggy. Well, before we wrap it up, do you have one last message that you can share with us? Life on earth is very short compared I'm sure to eternity so while you're here kick and scream and make it count make your mark um, someone might you know kill you for your beliefs but I believe that is rewarded in heaven I believe that there's more to be living here than our comfort our popularity our book sales you know um, what we're going to eat next week our paychecks there is so much more. I believe that we are here to make a difference, to make this life better than how we found it. And we all have a lifetime, no matter if short or long. We have this time today, or who knows how long, to make this world a better, kinder place for everyone. All right. Thank you very much, Peggy. I really appreciate you coming on my show. I hope that this TV show in Canada works out and I would look forward to seeing you on the screen and I wish you the best. I wish you the best and I wish you a happy new year and an amazing 2021. Thank you. You too. Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye.